Hey y'all, thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. I am your host, Kay Simone, and y'all better pour something or roll you something because this is a doozy. So October 7th, 2002, 13-year-old Iran Brown, he got up early, he ate chocolate chip waffles, and he waited for his aunt, Tanya Brown, to take him to school, which was Benjamin Tasker Middle. Now at the drop-off, Iran hopped out of the car and he began to make his way inside when a sound similar to a grenade goes off. A bullet tore through his body, striking him right under the left side of his chest, hitting his liver, spleen, pancreas, diaphragm, and lung. Now the teachers, they turn around, you know, they see him on the floor and he said he's been shot. They don't know what the fuck to do. They don't don't know if it's a prank. They don't know if this is for real. And they take their eyes off of him for a second. They turn back around and he's gone. The world is fucked up, y'all. Let's talk about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, y'all. So I have someone super special with me. I got my motherfucking blood on. Hey. Yes. We in this bitch. <laughs> we're, we're in this bitch. And we are going to light it up. I can't tell y'all how many times I have gone through this story. And I feel like, you know, I hold everybody else accountable. So I got to hold myself accountable, too. I recorded with Coco and Bobby. And I did not press the record. So, I really it's recording it. right now, though. I see the little dot. Yeah, we, it, 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 it did the 5432 wood. So, we are all good to go. Um, now, y'all, you know, put a prayer in the box for Bobby because he now has COVID. And my homegirl, Coco, I know he sent me the COVID test. And I was like, my ass, like, I, I was like, damn, nigga, if you ain't want to be on the podcast, just say that. But he. he <laughs> He really does have COVID, and I think this is his second time. And Bobby, if you're listening to this, I love you so much, and I hope you get better soon. And Coco is starting a new semester, so just drop some good thoughts for the both of them. I know they're tired of my shit, uh, but <laughs> Sammy, please. I'm not. Let's go. <laughs> but first, you gotta tell them about you because y'all are gonna be hearing a lot. All right. From oh, Sammy. okay. So, yeah. Hey, y'all. My name is Sammy. Uh, Kay Simone and I are siblings. I'm slightly older. Uh, y'all ain't... <laughs> y'all ain't... No, this is a retake, because I keep saying the government name. Um, okay. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, we, we can't be doing that. But, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be appearing on the podcast. We're gonna start doing something with that. Um, but today, I'm just here to listen and make comments in the appropriate places. Just know that they are doing an episode next week. I- I'm not gonna tell y'all what episode, but just know that they are coming. Back. It's gonna be it's gonna be wild. We're gonna be wild. my first episode. We go big or go home, like they say in what is it, Texas? I, it's or do they say that everywhere? What a burger and racist out here? Since I don't know. Too much. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. And I'm and I'm not taking that shit out. I'm not taking it out. So <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be one. Y'all are listening to part three of the DC snipers, and this gonna be for the last time, y'all. All right. I'm not doing Muhammad and Malvo no more. So I'm about to give y'all all the information that I've got. Um, I wish I could fit everything in one episode, but y'all know I can't. I'm already on 28 pages of notes, so we just gonna have to get into it. So you listened to part one and part two? I listened to part one and part two. It was wild. I I was shook. Like, the audacity, the fucking audacity that these niggas have is just... Honestly, it's on par with, like, a cis white man. Like, they got... They got super <laughs> they super just audastic is that a word it is now <laughs> audastic it should be a mental health disorder um <laughs> yeah like for real y'all so we're just gonna get into it i have to give a major trigger warning for brutal deaths um due to gun violence we have to look at the type of weapon that they were using which is a bushmaster rifle them two two three bullets mm-hmm. do not play no jokes y'all so You know, I talked about it before, the day and age that we are in. I completely understand if you would want to skip this episode. Baby, I'm not going to hold it against you. Um, And then catch us next week. So we're going to go in and I'm going to give y'all just a little um, refresher. So let me scroll all the way up 28 pages. Y'all forgive me. All right. So in part one, y'all know me and Coco, we covered the backgrounds of John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo. We know John was acting out of pocket from the moment he began abusing Mildred. Actually, yeah, from the moment he was in the military, you know, throwing grenades. That grenade in the sleeping bag. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, anyway, sorry. Sorry. No, you're good. But yeah, no, from the grenade in the sleeping bag. So from what we already know, you know, he snaps after he loses his children. So after the custody hearing, he found out that he was not only divorced, but he was kidless. So this is Wait, when can he- I pause? Can I just interject real quick? How is he mad that he lost his kids because he didn't do what he was supposed to do? I don't understand how he mad at everyone else because he ain't do what he's supposed to do. Cause he okay, did. anyway, go on. No, I just want to let y'all know Sammy ain't the motherfucking one or the two. So just perk on up and let's get it. (laughs) No, because yes, like he stole her children and went to Jamaica. So, Mm. I mean, yes, he, but he really starts acting out of pocket after he loses custody. And so this is when he began to refer to Lee Boyd Malvo as his son. And then he put him through that rigorous training um, now, I began part two with the murder of Kenya Cook, who is Issa Nichols' niece. Issa was a target because of the support she was giving Mildred during the divorce process. I ended part one with the attempted murder of Wright Williams Jr. Uh, but Lee Boy Malvo and Muhammad, they have been all over the fucking map. And that was the point of part two, because those people are just as important. And there were shooting mm-hmm. deaths in Arizona, Arizona, Tucson, Texas, Maryland, and Louisiana. So if you have not listened to part one or part two, go ahead and just stop this right now. I'm going to need for y'all to run that back so y'all can get all of the information. Um, But now we are going to cover the infamous DC sniper case and the investigation. Are you ready, Sammy? I think so. I, I just can't with these men. I can't. 
okay, but we gotta, so let's do it. <laughs> we have to. And I wish that y'all could have listened to the audio with me, Bobby, and Coco, because, like, I gotta say it, like, Bobby is the one who referred me to the DC sniper case. Like, Sammy, I don't know if you knew that, but he, uh, like, I was asking him, okay, like, when you want to be on the episode, like, what do you, what case do you want me to cover? And he was just telling me about, you know, two people who had went on, like, a shooting spree in the D.C. area. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's going to be, like, a normal episode. But then he said it was two niggas. I was shook because you were right. It's always, like, it it, it ain't never be niggas. Niggy don't see niggas out there <laughs> shooting people. <laughs> My, but it was. my man, my man, my man. Yeah, no, they were never in, like, never before, okay? So, like, they were out of pocket. And then we also have to look at what time we were in. Like, the Twin Towers, the terrorist attacks. It yeah. took almost the entire month of October for them to realize that this was not a terroristic attempt from outside forces. And so, wow. yep. And so this all... The Beltway sniper attacks, they're notoriously known, known for what happened in October. So October 2nd, 2002, we're in Aspen Hill, Maryland, 5.20 p.m. Folks, they're just minding their business, shopping inside of a Michael's craft store. And this is when someone fires a shot through the front window. Now, the bullet, it hit a lane marker and then shattered. And it was just one single shot. Um, but folks were flabbergasted because who the fuck just pulled up to a Michael's craft store? and fired a rifle through the front window. Mind you, we are in Aspen Hill, Maryland, where the, the car crashes occur, occur more than homicides. So, okay, yes, this is the type of area that we are in. So around the same time that the rifle was shot into the Michaels, 55-year-old James D. Martin, finishing his shift, he worked as a program analyst for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And mind you, these... Uh, I know I covered some of these in part one, so this might be new information, some stuff that I added, but the names might sound familiar. So, um, but his shift was over and he wanted to grab groceries for his church. So he headed to the Shoppers Food Warehouse located at 2201 Randolph Road in Wheaton, Maryland. He gets out of his vehicle. This man took about eight to 10 steps and collapsed. I mean, he fell face forward and at the same time, there was a sound that was described as a cannon or a thunderclap. And this is how wild this stuff was. So there was a woman. She's in close proximity. Um, her name is Kimberly Sadelson. And she was loading groceries into her car when she heard the sound. And she called 911 for James. And really all she could say was that there was a loud noise, but they were not sure if he had been shot. Because mind you, all of these are one-shot kills. So you don't oh really see, God. you never really see anybody taken off or you never see anybody walk up and shoot. They're all one-shot kills from a long-range distance. I can't even imagine just the confusion and the fear. Like, where's this coming from? Am I next? You know, that's crazy. These All of these people at one point were faced with their own mortality. So... Like, yeah, we have to keep in mind that that was incredibly horrific. So um, basically what's going on. So again, she's not sure if he had been shot, but of course she probably got the fuck out of Dodge as she should have. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. a, a, another officer who was stationed across the street 
Like the sound of this Bushmaster rifle is so loud. He thought that because there were 18 wheelers that were kind of next to the shoppers plaza. He thought mm -hmm. one of them had fallen over. And this man is across the street. Oh my God. And yeah. And so he, you know, puts his eyesight like towards the shoppers food warehouse and he sees kind of like a crowd in the distance. And so he makes his way over there. And so um, homicide detective Patrick McNerney, he investigated the scene along with some other officers, and they were able to determine that this wasn't a robbery because of the surveillance footage. So a man named Stephen Cribben told the, the, told the police, this man is an army veteran. He said that the sound was similar to a rifle. And 30 seconds after he saw the, after he saw, you know, the man go down, and he mm -hmm. heard the shot, he saw a blue car drive across the parking lot and there were two African-American males laughing inside the vehicle as it pulled away. The police uh -huh. didn't pay any attention to this description because they didn't think the shot came from the area where Cribben saw the car. Okay, so what I want to say is, a, is that that behavior from the cops is very um, LAPD. <laughs> That you is know how they <laughs> you know how they just like went through the entire 60s through the 80s not solving crimes you know because they wasn't paying attention <laughs> anyway yeah so they was paying attention and so and mind you this isn't going to be the first tip that they receive all right i just want to put that out there because this case gonna piss you off so <laughs> now mind you again it's very unusual for montgomery county to have this type of situation so automatically their ears were perked up like i said there were more traffic related deaths than homicides we have to look at where we're at so mm -hmm. um the shot fired into the craft store and then we have the death of martin the detectives they were shook so now we're going to move to october 3rd this is the death day this is where the toll gets really high and i mean it's back to back to back so mm -hmm. I'm going to start this off 5.30 a.m., October 3rd. Lori Lewis Rivera and her husband, Nelson, they wake up to start their day. Nelson kind of remembered. He, he like, rolled over, and he looking at his wife. And while he looking at her, he, like, something bad about to happen today. Like, something, like, something. No. Right. Yeah, and he remembered that because just the way, like, he looked at her for, like, an extended period of time. Like, he really didn't do that. Like, he was just, like, something doesn't feel right. And so they spent their time together. They got up out of bed, got ready for the day. And, you know, um, her husband, Nelson, he put it to the back of his head and him and his wife parted ways. So mm -hmm. same day, 7.41 a.m., 39-year-old uh, James L. Sonny Buchanan, he's mowing grass behind the car dealership. And this is next to the address of White Flint Mall at 11411 Rockville Pike. And this is in Kensington, Maryland. We hear that loud cannon, and it's heard above the lawnmower. And then mm -hmm. Buchanan, in the distance, they see him kind of clutching his chest. And the lawnmower kind of rolled off. And he began to stagger his way towards the dealership. He made it about 200 feet inside the fence when he fell onto his face. And that's he made it a pretty far distance uphill considering what had happened. So the employees thought that a lawnmower had exploded. And, you know, like a parts manager for the dealership named Jim King called 911 and basically said, mind you, like, 
fuck, like, if I've just been shot and y'all don't know I've been shot, like, that shit is so tragic. So he calls mm-hmm. 911 and basically he's like, Sonny had an accident with his lawnmower. And I quote, it chopped him up. He's bleeding real bad. He's down and out. He's bleeding out the mouth. His lawnmower caught the curb or something, end quote. The paramedics tried to revive him and there was a hole in his chest left by the bullet. By the time he got to the hospital, his heart had stopped and had been completely drained of blood. According to doctors who worked on him, it was the most blood that they had ever seen. And mind you, Sonny was the child of a former Montgomery County police officer. And Mm -hmm. there was another guy who had said, like, there are two places that one feels safe. That is at work and that is at home. And already one of those places have been taken from them. And so, 32 minutes later, Aspen Hill Dispatch, they get another call. And there's this lady, she's frantic. Mind you, if y'all go and look up this case, y'all can hear these 911 calls. And she is just sobbing. And she says that a man had just been killed in front of her. And his name was Primacor Wallacher. And he had pulled up to a mobile gas station, and that's located at the 4100 Aspen Hill Road in Rockville, Maryland. And this is half a block from the Michael's Craft Store where the original first shot was. And so Wallacher, he pulls up to get gas, and this is when he's noticed by Dr. Carolyn Namro. And she was also pulling in to get gas, and she remembered how she thought it was strange that he pumped the gas, like, kind of at, like, the bottom of his car, not the side. And this lady, she looks inside of her purse to pull out her credit card, and that's when the cannon blast is heard. And Wallacher, like, she looks up, and Wallacher is looking at her through the, through the window of his car, and all he says is, call an ambulance, and he collapses. Mm-hmm. And so this woman, she calls 911, and the police assisted her with CPR. You know, they did the mouth-to-mouth, but she started to feel his pulse go away. Now, mind you, the ambulance has to be on standby because the scene is not secure. Like, you do not send the ambulance in until it's secure for them to be there. So, like, literally, unfortunately, that scene was not secure. So it just felt like forever. And at one point, Wallacher was vomiting and choking on his blood so she could no longer do the mouth-to-mouth. And Ooh. all of this happened. Carolyn Namro's two-year-old son was in the back seat uh, while this was all going down. So uh, what she said, like, I, I want to give y'all some of these quotes, because like I said, these people are faced with their own mortality, and it's so horrific. And she said that it is very possible that she would have been the target instead of Wallacher. She said that every time she goes to get gas, she immediately gets out to pay. And she said, and I quote, That day, I paused for a few seconds because he was filling his gas tank from where the license plate was. That slowed me down, and that is why I didn't get out of the car. That few seconds of delay made a difference to my life. I was the slightly blurrier object behind my windshield, and the clearer shot was the guy who got out of his car. But if I hadn't been nosy, looking over to see what he was doing, I would have gotten out and been the clearer shot. But there, for the grace of God, go I. And so, like I said, like this is, and if you don't understand that quote, it's kind of like a proverb where you recognize that somebody's misfortune definitely could have been your own. So Mm -hmm. around 837, the medics 
um, basically they're calling Wallacher's time of death. And at the same time, an elderly man calls 911 from a shopping center near the uh, Leisure World Retirement Community. This shopping center is located at 3701 Rossmer Boulevard in Silver Springs, Maryland, and it's right off of Georgia Avenue. So 34-year-old 30, Sarah Raymonds, um, she's sitting on a bench with a book in her hand, and she's waiting for a ride to her next job when a single bullet went through her head. This woman is a former law student from El Salvador, and Sarah moved to the States, you know, to build a life with her family. She was working as a housekeeper and a babysitter, and she was a wife. Um, she is a wife and has a seven-year-old child. And the .223 rifle bullet hit the top of her skull, leaving a small entry hole that caused extensive eggshell fra uh, fractures. Now, when Officer Cynthia Martin, she arrived to the scene, and Sarah slumped over on the bench and blood was pouring out of her head onto the ground, pooling around her brain matter. And have you, Google, I want you to see it because, so you can see it. Get your phone and Google Sarah Ramos DC sniper. Sorry y'all, so much of this is off the record, but to see these pictures and the fear, like this lady, if you Google Sarah Ramos, this lady, like wife and mother, this is what Muhammad and Malvo did to her. She is slumped over on a bench with a with a bloody blanket just over her body, and you just see her slumped over. And so like that's why this stuff is so important. These people lived and were hard ass workers. Just trying to make it. So yeah, these that niggas ain't so shit. Sad. Yeah, and so. never have been. But anyway, and that'll do it. So um, now, I want to point out that another woman, like I want to explain how all this stuff is so connected. Another woman around the same time, Andrea Wallacher Hempstead. She gets up in the morning and she starts to get ready for her shift at the Leisure World Shopping Center. When a friend, her homegirl, called her up and said that a woman had just been killed there, and that was Sarah Ramos. Now, when Andrea turned on the news, she recognizes her father's taxi cab, and she recognized it because of the American flag sticker, and she was calling her father, but he never picks up the phone because her father is premature Wallacher, and he uh -huh. was already pronounced deceased. <sighs> so... Yeah. I'm okay. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So that's why I like to tell exactly what happened so we can humanize these people. They're not just yeah. a part of the Beltway sniper attacks. Their names are Sarah Ramos. You know, so, yeah. So around 9.58, 25-year-old Lori Ann Lewis Rivera she made a stop to vacuum Cheerios out of her back seat at a Shell station located at 10515 Connecticut Ave in Kensington, Maryland, which is in the same parking lot as the Safeway store. This is when Maria Welsh, who at the time was a pediatric intensive care nurse, she's backing out of her parking space on the other side of the lot. And so she had just finished loading her groceries in her minivan, and she's leaving when she hears the boom of a cannon. And she drives across the parking lot and she heard a woman crying for help. 
Lori was under the open door of her car and she was tangled in the hose of the vacuum and she was bleeding from her mouth and her nose. By the time Welsh really got out of the car to take a look to see what was going on, um, she checked for a pulse and noticed that her lips and fingers were turning blue. And then Lori was dead. And they did try chest compressions, um, but no one knew what had happened because when Lori was shot, she was shot in the back and then fell backwards. So mm-hmm. when she was doing all this, she didn't know that she had been shot. And this is the same woman, I think, in part one, I talked about their love story with Nelson and how that man didn't know a lick of English when they went on their first date. He just knew he loved this woman. And so he had to tell their baby, you know, that mommy had gone up to heaven. So now, hmm. Yep, so we're going to be moving on because a total of five people get murdered in 16 hours and four of them were gunned down in a span of two hours and 17 minutes. And witnesses all heard the gunshot, but no one really could say that they saw a shooter. And these killings were definitely not planned out. There was no target or motive. And the only information that appeared to be solid came from the man that was working um, with the landscaping crew near Leisure World. Now, he claimed he saw Sarah walking past the post office and saw her open a booklet on the bench. And that's when he heard the cannon sound. And he looked around and saw Sarah uh, Sarah shaking on the bench. And then he saw a white truck speed off, but wasn't able to make out the license plate. Police then broadcasted for people to look out for this vehicle. And child, there was over 70,000 white motherfucking trucks in Maryland. So find you, they're hemming up these people with these white trucks. Hold on, it's two niggas in a box caprice. <laughs> and they knew, and somebody had already told them this information. You know what kills me about this is that they didn't believe, like, they didn't immediately jump on it when someone said they saw two niggas in a car. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like in today's day and age, that would be like the first lead they went with, whether it was true or not. But back then, we're like, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, you don't think they be out here killing folks with no rhyme or reason. But <laughs> hey, like, that's how you know the cops just be picky and choosy, all depending on where you live. Okay. So, <laughs> shoot. So now it's now around noon, October 3rd. And this is when the first press conference is held by Montgomery County Chief Charles Moose. God rest his soul. He is now deceased. And he talked Mm. about the killings and said that they strongly feel as if they are connected. No shit, my man. So um, Moose gave a description (laughs) of the white truck and urged the public to be observant and suspicious and don't hesitate to dial 911. Moose said, and I quote, I am convinced that someone knows who's doing this. I am convinced that someone has seen something, end quote. And yes, they had. They already said it on day one. Um, But they deployed Sammy. Not you follow up. Listen, Sammy. They deployed troopers from the state. They had FBI crime scene techs and a helicopter. As well as dogs who could sniff out gunpowder. Listen. Of course, of course they did. Like all of this was right after nine eleven. Of course, and it's still like Muhammad and Malva was looking at that shit like one monkey don't stop no show because another person died, right? So, because nobody was looking for them, they said, "Oh, they looking for a white truck. Let's hop in this little blue car." Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And I'm and mind Jeez. you, Muhammad and Malvo were gutting people in broad daylight at a Michael's craft store. Yeah, how did they get to that idea? Were they like, where where do non-POC hang out? Uh and then and just were like Michael. Literally at the start of this, we kind of see like they're going to a Michael's craft store in a rich ass neighborhood where primarily non-black and brown people frequent. And Muhammad's Ma- whole thing, like the whole um, you know, him desensitizing Malvo and all this training was because there was a race war between white and blacks. But as we go through this, you will see that Muhammad was just fucking crazy this whole time. Because they killed more than just white people. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. And also, I personally feel like all of this was like what Mildred, Mildred Green said it best. Like, he was coming for me. He was coming for me. And I mean, he murders Issa Nichols' niece mm-hmm. because he was pissed at Issa. And actually, like, the bullet was for Issa. And this whole time but, he was trying to get to Mildred. So they think he that, was literally just shooting. Wait, Mildred's a white woman? Mildred Green is his black ass wife who had been abused by. Don't you did. Um, so did I not say that Mildred Green was an African American woman? I am so sorry. But yes, Mildred Green, he had been abusing her this entire time. And she strongly feels as if his whole plan was to start all of these killings. So by the time he got to her ass, it would look like she was just a part of it. And then he could take his kids back. That makes sense to me. Officers believe that shit and experts believe it too. I mean, it absolutely makes sense. I'm just shook because he indoctrinated Lee with this whole belief that race war between white and black and his anger was directed at a black woman. That just, I wish, I wish uh, uh, Coco was here to give me some, like, psychology behind what might have brought him to this point. That's, mm-hmm. what a dick. Uh, and it only, it only gets worse because we have not got to um, Mr. Iran Brown. So now. God, okay. Now, mind you, so they have deployed all of this stuff, all of these resources, and they're literally holding people who drive white vans at gunpoint at this point. And that did not stop 72-year-old Haitian immigrant Pastel Charlotte from being gunned down. So it's 9.20 p.m. And this man, he's minding his business. He had just gotten off a bus and was standing under a streetlight on the southeast corner of Georgia Ave at 1100 Calmere Road, northwest Washington, D.C. He raises his hand to his chin and the cannon sound rings out. A bullet rips through his palm and chest near his left collarbone and the Mm -hmm. impact of the rifle shattered his collarbone and ribs. And the fragments ripped through his upper chest, neck, and shoulder. Charlotte died about an hour later, leaving his wife and five children. So a witness reported seeing a red Toyota drive off. And the police traced the Toyota, but it was just normal ass human beings doing what we should do when we hear gunfire, which is flee. So Mm -hmm. it turns out it had nothing to do with it. 
and another opportunity for them to get farther away. So October 4th, uh, Chief, Chief Moose, he holds a press conference and confirmed that Charlotte was the last killing on the 3rd. And shortly after this, the medical examiners, they begin to perform their autopsies. Excuse me. So now every victim had been killed by a single bullet and the consistencies were the small entrance wounds with massive internal injuries and the absence of soot near the entry wounds indicated that they had all been shot at long range. Anyone thinking that Malvo, this 17-year-old child, anyone thinking that he did all of this, y'all are fucking fools because Muhammad mm -hmm. was the one who had the military training. Mm -hmm. Muhammad was the one who got the awards from being for being able to shoot at um, long ranges and close distances. Muhammad mm -hmm. was the skilled shooter. Like, come on now. Like, <laughs> let's be for real if we're going to be anything on Black or True Crime. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> No. Two of the victims, they showed an x-ray pattern of an ultra-high velocity rifle bullet that shattered on impact, and three had large exit wounds. Now, the medical examiners, they were able to recover a lot of the bullet fragments, and then they pulled an almost complete copper jacket from the two twenty three bullet from Primacore Wallacher's lung. So, yeah, like, this shit is doing damage. And so now let's head about 75 miles south of Montgomery County. 43-year-old Carolyn Seawall, uh, she was driving into a Spotsylvania shopping center at 3102 Plank Road, Fredericksburg, Virginia. She parks her car in front of a Michael's Craft store. And this is, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, and this is where she was a regular customer. And so, like, you really don't think about it. Like, how many times a week do I go to the Valero across the street? Like, you really don't think that when you walk out your house that this is going to be it. And so, she goes inside. She does her shopping. She comes back out and begins to load her packages. And there was a couple, you know, in their car. Their names are Alex and Doris Jones. And they decided to wait for her spot. So they're just chilling there like, yeah, bitch, come on so we can pull in. And so everyone hears a loud cannon. And Carolyn, she hits the ground yelling that she has been shot. Now, Alex hops out the car because clearly he's a good Samaritan. And he's leaning over this woman. And so just picture this man and all of a sudden his eyes widen real quick. He has, He's basically realizing his vulnerability and mortality. Like they are all out in the open. And so like Mandem, he, he dashes back to his car and he, he's basically like, yeah, like she's been shot. And I'm pretty sure that they call 911, but they pull off to somewhere safe. So, of course. yeah, like, I don't blame them for leaving Carolyn on the ground. And I'm pretty sure she doesn't either. And luckily, she did survive. Oh, so, good for her. Good. Yes. Now, earlier, I mentioned a man named McNearney. So he was a homicide detective. And he was basically going to these different crime scenes, trying to make the shit make sense. And authorities, they were basically thinking that the Michael's Craft Store was a key to solving the case. Uh, so they began to... What? <laughs> So they begin to check their employee and customer records. And they do the same thing with like the Shell and Mobile gas stations. And so they are still on the lookout for a white box truck, y'all. And one thing they know for sure is that all of the killings are linked, including the attempted murder of Carolyn. Like, poor thing. Now, the ballistic tests um, that were run on the fragments um, taken from the victims, they all matched. 
So by the 4th, though, police had received a tip more than once about a dark-colored car with New Jersey tags. Allegedly, they did not believe that the car was connected to the shooting, um, but get into this tea. So, and this shit took Bobby out, but they got to interviewing witnesses who saw the murder of Pascal Charlotte. And there was a man named Mr. Largy, and he said that the car definitely did not belong to no white man. And the lighting was <laughs> poor, so it looked darker in color, but it wasn't a white van. And he was sure a white man couldn't have been the driver because Chevrolet Caprices, that's a brother's vehicle. Like... <laughs> Basically, he said, get them niggas. Them niggas, it's niggas who did this. All right? So. Right. <laughs> Wait, is that, is that the boondocks? It is. <laughs> them niggas. Listen, boy. So, mind you, at this point, we already had the traumatic day, you know, of the third. And now we have the fourth. Like, panic is setting in. And it was so bad. Stories began locking their doors. And they were basically letting people mm-hmm. in one at a time. And parents, they wanted to go to their schools and pull their kids out. But police chief Moose encouraged them to keep their children in schools, saying that they were safe and would be released on the normal schedule. He said he wouldn't arrest a parent who wanted to get their kids but told them that removing their children was not going to help. So now let's get into October 7th. So the police, they put out a bolo for a burgundy colored Chevy, uh, Chevy Caprice. Like you niggas. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. Right car. You're getting the right (laughs) car, wrong color. Uh, Y'all getting closer. Um, But it would have been older and may have sounded like a hoopty. And so this is the same day a child is shot at Benjamin Tasker Middle School in oh. Prince George's County. No. Let's get it. Not into after it. Chief Moose said they was safe. Ooh, the lawsuit. <laughs> Listen, I was reading, um, well, I was listening to other stories on the DC Sniper, and uh-huh. I was driving when they described this and it wasn't even in depth like this bitch almost crashed my car i was like say what so we're gonna get into this okay okay so yeah because bitch i'm a mother oh my god i know so all right so benjamin um tasker middle school like i said it's in prince george's county maryland this child uh, was banned from the bus for three days because he was eating Twizzlers. 13-year-old Iran was walking into school when he was shot. Now, a teacher heard the sound similar to a cannon and ran to him. And I'm going to give you the dialogue because it took me out. This lady was like, what's wrong? And he said, I've been shot. And the teacher said, are you kidding? And turns away for a second. Now, I already mentioned, I'm going to mention it in my intro, but I'm going to mention it again. Like, she turns back around, and Iran is gone. Now, because, mind you, like, what the fuck do you mean? Am I kidding? Like, <laughs> me. Like, what? like, my dog, no. Does this sound like a jokey joke? Like, did you hear the shot? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And so, now... 
like I said, the, this lady turns back around. She took her eye off her eye, ran on the ground for a second, frantically looking around for something to do. But I want to point out, so his aunt was pulling out of the like cul-de-sac where you drop the kids off. Mm-hmm. And this baby cried out for his TT one time. When I tell you, she backed that motherfucker up and picked him up so fast that the teacher was only turned around for a second. And then she turned oh back to he was gone. Uh, his TT was not playing. And that's her quick thinking. That okay. is the reason that this baby is alive because that damage would have killed him. So I'm going to mention the damage again. The bullet tore through the left side of his chest and hit his liver, spleen, pancreas diaphragm and lung and he couldn't breathe and she had to talk him through it the entire way to the hospital he thought he was about to die and she had Mm. to roll down the window to try and help him catch the breeze they're disgusting you said they got capital punishment right i muhammad in the dirt right now so yeah okay poor baby and i will explain why okay okay He's 17 years old, Sammy. I know. I I know. I know. Just let's just get on with the story. <laughs> get that bigger too. I feel it. So like, <laughs> they worked on it for hours. And the surgeon said it was Tanya's quick thinking that saved his life. So TT oh, to the rescue. TT to the rescue. She backed that shit up, flipped it, and rubbed it down. She saved that baby. So now oh. Chief Moose. He gets on the news conference, and at this point, he was hot. Like he said it, and I quote, "Like, like you niggas embarrassing me at this point." That's not what he said, but he said, <laughs> "Today, <laughs> he just went on TV hey, with his clown face on." Listen to me and hear me clear. We are not laughing at the fact that a child got shot. We are laughing at the incompetence of these police officers who we are forced to put our trust into. Because um, honestly, it's ridiculous. All right? Like, the embarrassment. That man had to get up there and eat crow? Like, yeah. So, now Iran Brown has just been shot. And the chief, he gets on the news conference. Hmm. And I just want to point out that we spent a hell of time going in on Chief Moose so much that we had to cut that shit out so y'all wouldn't think we were laughing about the wrong thing. But I I literally said, listen, Chief Moose would have had to see me. Me, me, me. Me, me. Like, because you said (laughs) it was safe for my children. You said it wouldn't help. (laughs) Exactly. And I understand that that was to calm the panic, but now a child has been shot. And he got up there with tears in his eyes and said, I quote, today it went down to the children. Someone is so mean-spirited that they shot a child. Now we're stepping over the line because our children don't deserve this. So parents, please do your job tonight. Engage your children. Be there for them. We're going to need it. Shooting a kid, I guess it's going to be really, really personal now, end quote. But let me tell don't tell me to do my fucking job when you didn't do yours from jump. These schools okay, but closed. a little bit of uh, like a tiny bit of our brains literally cannot comprehend people acting like this. You know what I mean? And he probably never in a million years thought that somebody would shoot a child. I 
I thought we were going to get through this story without a child being shot, okay? Uh, so it's, I, I can I can see why he didn't, but at the same time, like, it's his job to think of the worst. Exactly. It's his job to think of the worst, but you know what? You're right. So, yeah, you definitely put me in a different perspective because I can't imagine his fear when what happened, you know, when it reached his ears. So, now, mm-hmm. mind you, so they needed to, um, yeah, like, <laughs> at this point, they basically upped all of the shit. I mean, all of the protection, all of them trying to figure out who is sniping these people because now they have shot a child. So investigators, they immediately get to the scene and they're performing a forensic sweep of the area and they're walking shoulder to shoulder until they find a flattened area in the shrubs. And at Mm. this scene, they find a shell casing and the death tarot card. Across the (gasps) bottom was printed the word death. Across the top in blue ink and in quotations was the message, call me God. On the back it read, for you, Mr. Police, call me God and do not release to the press. So they needed to keep this information close to the chest because they were getting so many false tips. Because mind you, uh, Mm -hmm. Chief, he had already said, like, if you see something, say something. But Mm -hmm. people in their fucked up minds. So now, now they have something close to them. So if someone called in, they knew it was and they knew about the tarot card. They know that this person was legit. And the sniper had specifically warned them to keep quiet. On Tuesday, October 8th, a reporter named Mike Buchanan reported the information about the tarot card and said later that the tip came from the spouse of one of the officers. And she Chief Moose was a hot boy. And around this time, basically, he's losing his shit about the media. But guess what? One of his officers ran up on Muhammad in his dark blue Chevy Caprice with New Jersey tags and cited him for sleeping inside of his vehicle. Like that time they let Ted Bundy go. (laughs) I'm telling you, LAPD, LAPD. Okay, anyway. And it honestly, it does not get much better from here, y'all. We are going down the spiral. So October 9th, 53-year-old Dean Myers, he's um, pumping gas around 8.18 p.m. at a Manassas Sunoco station in Virginia when he shot dead. He was found slumped by his Mazda and his skull was shattered from a high-powered weapon. And by mm-hmm. now, the Montgomery County Reward Fund had grown to 305000 for anyone who could bring the snipers down. And thousands were flooding the FBI hotline with tips. Mm-hmm. And on the same day, October 11th, on this same day that Sonny Buchanan is being laid to rest, Kenneth Bridges is shot dead. This man was 53 years old and had a wife and six children who he said were blessings uh-huh. from God. Kenneth pulled into an Exxon a gas station on his way home from work and called his wife. He told her um, that there was a state trooper about 50 yards from him working on a fender bender. At 9.28, he stepped out of his car to pump his gas when the sound like a cannon went off. Kenneth was shot in the back, and by the time that the trooper made it those 50 yards over to him, he had no pulse and was pronounced Mm. dead at Mary Washington Hospital. Yeah. These assholes. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Just ruining families. 
And mind you, the people who were shot, you know, from February up to October, they're suffering from fucking PTSD because they don't know who the fuck shot them. And that these these uh, killings had not been linked to them. It took them months to get everyone. Uh. There are still some unsolved cases, even though they know that per Malvo's confession that who did it, it's still technically unsolved because they couldn't believe a lot of what Malvo said. So... Let's oh, get to Monday. Oh, no. And are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Are you okay? Bitch, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, every time I'm going to go through this. So, uh, skip to Monday, October 14th. And at this point, the police, they're trying to create a net by setting up hotspots where the shootings have been occurring. So, if there was another attack, they are within a certain number of minutes away so they can make it to the scene quicker. Now, around 7.30 p.m., a couple named Ted and Linda, they're driving into the lower-level parking lot of a Home Depot store, and this was located at 6201 Arlington Boulevard in Falls Church, Virginia. 47-year-old Linda was fighting cancer and had taken some time off of work. Um, She was an FBI analyst, and so it's kind of like a normal day for them, and they're doing their shopping. They finish around 9 p.m. As they are loading their car, the sound of the cannon goes off, and Linda falls to the ground. The .223 rifle bullet tore into her skull and exited above her right eye. The high-powered rifle split her skull and then shattered. And unfortunately, she died right in front of her husband in his arms, and he couldn't do anything. But dial 911 and just picture this chaos. All hell had broken loose in that parking garage and then in the inside of the Home Depot. And this is when a witness named Matthew Dowdy claimed he saw a gunman coming out of a cream-colored Chevy Astro. And Dowdy claimed he saw what looked like an AK-47 fire, and then the man dashed away in a van. Police broadcasted a description, and the Fairfax County Police Chief Thomas Manger said he was confident the tip would lead to an arrest. So now, October 15th, around the afternoon, a call came into the Rockville Police Station, and the male voice said, and I quote, Good morning. Don't say anything. Just listen. We're the people that are causing the killing in your area. Look on the tarot card. It says, call me God. Do not release to the press. We have called you three times before trying to set up negotiations. We have got no response. People have died. And then like the in, like get your people and then it kind of trailed off because the person on the phone tried to tell them that they need to transfer the call to the task force for Montgomery County. But the call yeah. had with the collar at all, go. So, child. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. We need to do your thing, okay? It's okay. Do your thing, 21. All right, so remember, <laughs> I said a man named Matthew Dowdy provided a witness statement that had officials thinking that they were about to find their guy. Well, it turned out this motherfucker was lying. He was inside the store when the sniper shot Linda Franklin. So now moving on to October 17th, a man named Robert Holmes calls the FBI tip line and said he thought he knew who the sniper was. Mr. Holmes was an old friend of Muhammad, but it took five days for him to be interviewed. Yep, October 18th, Malville makes two calls to an officer named Belils. And when the officer picks up for the first time, Malville immediately told the officer to shut up and listen and don't ask questions. 
Malvo advised him to look into a shooting that took place in Montgomery, Alabama at a liquor store back in September. And to my listeners, this is why I need y'all to tune in to part one and part two. Because if you haven't already, then you don't know about Claudine Parker and Kelly Adams. So Malvo gave the officer the number to contact Sergeant Martino from Alabama and said to check it out and he will call back later. The officer said, when you call back, ask for Officer Derek. And then the line went dead because the payphone needed more money. So the call had come from a payphone near a Ponderosa Steakhouse where Mohammed and Malvo had died previously. So now they basically begin to link the previous shootings together. And this is when, um, and this was Malvo again on the line. And they have more contact with Malvo in regards to the ABC shootings. And four hours after this, Malvo and Muhammad contact a priest in Ashland, Virginia, and Malvo began to confess information about how they were sniping people, even, men- even mentioning, excuse me, the tarot cards, as well as the ABC shooting. Malvo was feeling guilty? Was Muhammad ordering him to do this? Like, basically. I, I, is that narcissism? Like, Like, they wanted to be caught, right? They wanted the world to know it was them, obviously. Why Muhammad would have Malvo uh, contact ABC Liquor Store, I kind of think it's kind of like when you want to be known for killing people so fucking bad and you see the police fucking up and you try to give them tips. Well, that is the tip that ends up bringing this shit to its feet. So Malvo basically Uh. instructs the priest to call the cops. But the man thought Malvo had a wild-ass imagination and never called authorities. And then also, it's good to mention by this time, Matthew Dowdy had been arrested for lying to authorities. So Mm. now, as he should have been, because Mm -hmm. why would you Mm -hmm. lie? So moving on to the 19th of October, it's a little after 8 p.m. And Jeff Hopper and his wife, they finished dinner at a Ponderosa Steakhouse in Ashland, Virginia. And, you know, they're holding hands. They all booed up and booed up, booed up. And they're walking to the (laughs) car when they hear the noise that sounds like an explosion or a cannon. And Jeff, he kind of feels a pain in his stomach. Then he collapses. So a .223 bullet struck his abdomen, ripping through his stomach while damaging his liver, spleen, pancreas, diaphragm, and kidney. The bullet shattered his ribs on the left side, but did not exit. So luckily the bullet was able to be extracted. Now he was rushed to the hospital and he survived. So now this is when at the Ponderosa Steakhouse, a letter is found tacked to a tree. And this letter kind of cleared some things up. This is the first time we see the snipers make a demand and it clears up confusion on if this was a terroristic attack from outside entities. So on the letter, um, there were golden red stars and it was kind of like little stickers. You know, when you go to the doctor's office and they give you stickers and shit. So Mm -hmm. investigators literally said that no self-respecting terrorist is going to put some fucking stickers (laughs) on a letter. So these were some damn civilians. But the letter read, and I quote, For you, Mr. Police, call me God. Do not release to the press. We have tried to contact we have tried to contact you to start negotiations, but the incompetence of your forces. These people took our call for a hoax or a joke. Then the letter listed five people that they had already contacted. One, Montgomery police officer Derek, 
two, Rockville Police Department female officer, three, Task Force FBI female, four, priest from Ashland, five, CNN Washington, D.C. These people took off for a hoax or a joke, so your failure to respond has cost you five lives. If stopping the killing is more important than catching us now, then you will accept our demands, which are non-negotiable. Option one, you will place $10 million in a Bank of America account. We will have unlimited withdrawal at any ATM worldwide. You will activate the bank account credit card and PIN number. At 6 a.m. Sunday morning, we will contact the Ponderosa Buffet in Ashland, Virginia, and you have until 9 a.m. Monday morning to complete this transaction. Try to catch us withdrawing. At least you will have less body bags. But option two, if you try to catch us, if trying to catch us is more important, then prepare your body bags. We give you our word that this will all take place. Word is bond. P.S. Your children are not safe anywhere at any time. Like, oh, Ashy. Oh, Ashy behavior. <laughs> That's so sick. It's so fucking twisted. So now authorities, they're basically like, oh no, like what have we missed? And what else is in the tip line? Well, we already know that Mr. Holmes left information about Muhammad. And so by the time the letter was handed over to the task force, they had missed their deadline. Chief Moose held a press conference 12 hours too late trying to reach out to the snipers to negotiate. And I also want to point out that the credit card information was traced to, I believe, a woman named Jill, um, who I believe, like, what was it? Arizona. Yes, it, I think it was like Arizona. Um, so they were able to trace this back because, mind you, in part one and part two, I explained those killings that took place earlier. And so this woman was uh, worked as a Greyhound bus driver, and they had booked a one-way ticket from Los Angeles um, to Arizona. So that is probably when they snipe, uh, swiped her wallet. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, did they really think that this was, they were going to get this? Like, is they dumb or is they stupid? They also put red stickers, red glittery stickers on a letter, threatening children. So... Who knows what they thought? So now, Muhammad and Malvo, they called back October 21st around 7.57 a.m. They made the call from a payphone at an Exxon station in Richmond. Um, now, they call again, giving the threats against the kids, trying to negotiate their demands. And the call lasts about 38 seconds. Now, they knew that this was the sniper calling, um, but it took the FBI six minutes to notify U.S. Marshals. So once they traced the call, like, every time, I'm so sorry. So once they traced this call, Sammy, I just want to let you know, like, picture something out of a movie. Like, they're acting all official, like, we got them. Like, nigga, we got them. And, like, there are people coming out of the Exxon, and, like, they're, like, giving them, like, hush, hush, like, y'all, shh, like, go back inside. Like, they look so official. I want to mm -hmm. tell you that Malvo watched them him up two immigrants. Malvo watched them him up two immigrants. <laughs> and basically, they couldn't tell the difference between a Hispanic accent and a Caribbean one. So Malvo just stood to the side and watched them pick up these two men who were later released. 
because there was another payphone at the other end of the damn gas station. And the next day, October 22nd, they gunned down 35-year-old Conrad Johnson. He was shot while standing on, on the top step of his bus in Silver Springs, Maryland, around 5.56 a.m. The bullet struck the right side of his upper abdomen, destroying most of his liver, pancreas, and right renal artery. And he died while surgeons operated on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I keep telling myself, Sammy, they're just doing their job. They were doing the best that they could. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, Junior also told me he was doing the best he could while showering, and he still smelled like he was smuggling onions. So I have to get up early in the morning and bathe him. So, yeah, doing your best is not always doing enough. So, Godspeed. Godspeed, Spider-Man. So at this point, the investigators, they're comparing the calls from the tip line and they finally get the uh, word of the confession. Because mind you, Malvo, uh, they had put it in the letter that they called the priest um, from Ashland. So they're reaching out to this priest and he's like, damn, that shit was real. So, (laughs) and then they connect the ABC liquor store killing and robbery. And this is when they get a crack in the case. Now the police, they're running around frantically at this point, but they are getting so close. And you know that Malvo, gift with the numbers calculating over the... This is them right now. This is... Because <laughs> this whole time, shit, shit wasn't adding up. They was adding 2 plus 2 and getting 14. Because, yeah, these Ooh. niggas competent. So, Malvo, this is... Like I said, Malvo had fucked this up for them because he gave the police the information about the ABC liquor store. But he must have forgotten that he dropped a magazine while running from the crime scene and it had his fingerprints on it. And the police were able to positively ID him because I don't know if you remember how, you know, Una James um, basically got them hemmed up by customs because she was trying to get Malvo back from Muhammad. And that was Uh when both of them were fingerprinted. So. Uh, Dummy. so So the night of October 23rd, ATF agents, they knocked on Mildred Green's door to bring her, her basically down to the station. And this is when they tell her that her ex-husband is going to be named as the sniper. They finally were able to link him to the blue 1990 Chevy Caprice. And Chief Charles Moose announced an arrest warrant had been issued for Muhammad, but it was in no relation to uh, the sniper case. But he also might be traveling with the juvenile. Like, you might as well tell the truth at this point. You know them niggas did it. So now, 12.30 a.m., a man named Whitney Donahue pulls into a rest stop. At this point, he had heard the news about Muhammad and Marvel and wrote down the license plate number just in case. And he spots the Chevy Caprice in the rest stop area and calls 911. This time, the police got the SWAT to come, baby. Like, they had 19 of their best SWAT team members, along with five officers from Montgomery County and five from the state police. And they got together a six-member assault team that would take uh, place to put the attack on the car. So I just want you to picture all of these people surrounding this rest stop. And this took hours while the car was just sitting. Like, they didn't know who was inside. They didn't know if they knew that they were there. They didn't know anything. And then at one point... Sleeping, huh? Are they sleep? This is the worst way to get woken up, my dog. So, like... (laughs) At at some point, mind you, it took hours, right, that they're doing this stakeout. 
And so there mm-hmm. are truckers coming in and out and they're like to the truckers, do you want to do your duty to protect this country? And they're like, hell fucking yeah. So they take their trucks and they use their trucks to block off every entrance surrounding this like the civilians they had had it like they were done so at some point like they're like okay if we don't do this now like we gotta go in so they descend on the vehicle i mean they're breaking the glass and ripping the doors off and muhammad and mavo were sleeping soundly inside This gives me so much joy. I hope. I hope they got the shock of their lives. I hope. <laughs> Damn. Like, I wish Bobby was on this episode because he was like, I know that they beat they, they <laughs> I know they. I know they beat the dog shit out of my house with a I know that they did. Like, literally taking him back to the police station. Like, they didn't even put him in seatbelts and they was taking hard corners and everything. Like, but this was when they finally caught the DC snipers and handed them over to state police. And boy, now they have Muhammad and Malvo. And when the nation found out that two black men, hmm, yeah. So I just want to point out that Muhammad and Ma- that they have them now, and Malvo did what was expected. Like I said, I wish I could fit everything in this episode, but I do encourage y'all to look this up. But I am going to point out that how much of a monster Muhammad was. So officers knew that even with all the training that Marvel had gone through, he wasn't no damn pro like this. Like, it couldn't have been just him. But Marvel had just been so abused by Muhammad and so desensitized. And so just for the mission, they knew that he would take the blame for everything. So at one point, in an effort to save Lee's life, because mind you, they said, uh-uh, death penalty for the both of them. So they were trying to save Lee's life. And so they tried to humanize him. And they told Muhammad that Lee wasn't strong without him and that Lee might be ready to take the weight of all these murders and say that he was small so he could fit in the back of the caprice. Because mind you, just so y'all know how this was all possible, they were shooting people through a hole in the trunk. Yep, yep. They did this on uh, Criminal Minds, right? I think there's an episode of, like this on Criminal Minds about the DC sniper. If y'all should check it out, look into that because it's, it's yeah gonna, they they and too. they and they did like this whole scene where they're shooting out of the trunk of the car. It's it's rough, but it's a good episode. All right, it's probably better than the fucking S- Sundance movie I watched on this. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. So, like, I have to turn that shit off. I'm like, this is a mockery. So, like, they basically tried to humanize him because, like, we knew that Malvo was going to take the blame, which he did. And so that's really what fucked up his credibility later on when he was confessing to all of these other cases. Um, But Mm. they basically told him that um, Lee would die and he's only 17 years old and they said that Lee could have been a stone cold killer but when it came time to die like when you're facing the death penalty and lethal injection that you know it will show the world that he's just a child playing a man's game and that's when he would cry for his parents and he will be a boy in a man's prison and that he isn't going to cry for Una he's not going to cry for his biological father but he is going to cry for Muhammad 
And they told him that that has to mean something to you. And they even tried to spin it. Like maybe it would be easier for, you know, Lee to die and Muhammad have to think for the rest of his life how he failed, you know, someone that he claimed was his son. And they said, if you love Lee the way a parent loves their children, then do the right thing, confess, and don't let Lee take the blame. They told him that Lee needs his permission to save himself, like a child a child would go to bat for their damn parents, right or wrong. Like, they will go, like, we literally just saw a child pull a gun out of his mother's or her mother's purse and shoot another person. So children will go to bat even if they are in the right or the wrong and he needs his permission to save himself john sat there and said nothing he did not care he would have let blame for everything and even at one point during trial muhammad i believe he was actually able to be like he was defending himself up there you know he was able to present his own case like it it was bullshit so november 17 2003 during trial uh, the trial lasted about six weeks and the prosecution produced more than 130 witnesses and 400 pieces of evidence ultimately mm. muhammad was convicted for the murder of dean myers and the and murder with the intent to terrorize the government or public conspiracy to commit murder and the illegal use of a firearm in a separate trial Lee Boyd Malvo was found guilty on two counts of capital murder, and he was eligible for the death penalty. Ultimately, it was decided that he should get life without parole, and John mm-hmm. Allen Muhammad was sentenced to death, and he died November 10th, 2009, and his victims and their families, like the ones who were alive, uh, they were present. Not all of them came, but majority of them did, and his family prayed for him outside. Now, they asked him if he had any last words and, you know, final act of defiance. He had nothing to say. And they witnessed the administration of the lethal drugs and watched him until his chest stopped moving. So, John Allen Muhammad is currently roasting like them Cornish hands in the front of Golden Corral. That nigga is roasting. And Lee Boyd Malvo, mind you, I just want to point out a lot of people really tried to come to bat and i mean i'm talking about victims families and some of the victims they understood that children are only products of their environment and that he was completely under the control of muhammad they recognized that you know what he did was indeed bad but let's be for real there have been new rulings that children who have been convicted of life sentences without parole they should be scheduled to have their cases looked at Lee yeah, did an appeal last year and it was fucking denied. So we don't know mm-hmm. how many more appeals he has left. Um, but he is definitely still, you know, sitting in prison and he has made some attempts to try and clear things up, like writing letters to people, apologizing and stuff like that. But you know, people triggered and traumatized. So has he yeah. shown real sincerity though? Huh? Has he shown real sincerity, though? Like, he's sorry? He has. Like, and I also want to point out that the longer that he was un- without the um, without being under the control of Muhammad, he mm-hmm. started to return to the 17-year-old child that he was when Muhammad found him dying of fucking disease when Una abandoned him. So he does start, to, and he's now married, and he's incredibly fucking smart. I just want to also point point that out to anybody who cares. He is not only sympathetic, but he has really tried to change his life around, and mm-hmm. I, I do personally feel like, yes, 
he did all of this, but I also want to point out he had a chance to shoot Mildred point blank in the fucking face. He walked away. And Mildred even said that she doesn't know the repercussions that he faced because he did not kill her when Muhammad instructed him to do so. And then even mm. when he was standing over um, Kelly Adams, um, yeah, Kelly, outside of the ABC liquor store, she saw his two skinny black legs. She was still alive. He looked down at her. He could have killed her. He walked away. So is it thought that maybe like he, because everyone Muhammad shot, he killed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe, you know, he did these killings part of tests as part of tests, but didn't do any of the actual shootings. And that's very possible because a lot of them were tests. And Muhammad said, if you back down, I'm going to kill you. So, mm-hmm. like, he was terrified of Muhammad. Mm. Okay. But, I mean, who was the real terror? Like, Muhammad or, or Una? Poor baby ain't had no good in his life. Well, he didn't up until he started turning his life around, obviously. Right. I think the best thing that he had was a prison sentence because now he's married. Um, He's married. He has a wife. And yeah. This was wild. Like, my heart hurts for everyone who died. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish. I wish shit like this didn't happen. But, hey, that's exactly why we're here, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to thank you for coming on, Sammy. I want to thank everybody that is tuning in. And I'm just so appreciative of y'all. We are so They are. Y'all. They are. They talk about this all the time. I've seen it on Facebook. Talk about like, what? How much you appreciate your listeners. Oh, yes. Yes. So, it's not a lie. They mean it. <laughs> <laughs> like, for real. Like, yes. Like, love y'all to fucking bits and pieces. And I want to thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. And you can catch us next week. Y'all take care and fold that fucking laundry in the corner. Bye. Please drink water. Drink water. Bye. Bye.